Welcome to the Global Wellness HQ family of podcasts. We are your international headquarters for resources and ideas and insight in relation to the nine elements of holistic wellness. Join us as we interview local and international wellness experts and learn how you can implement and improve one element or dimension of wellness at a time. Our experts will share their practical tips on wellness in one of these core areas. Emotional, intellectual, occupational, physical, environmental, financial, spiritual, social, or habitual. We created our family of podcasts as a resource for anyone who is looking to integrate the nine elements of holistic wellness into their daily lives. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I have my new friend Thomas Wilson with me today. Uh, Thomas, why don't you tell my guests a little bit about who you are and what you do? So my name is Thomas R. Wilson. I am a professional storyteller, advocate, writer, uh, game master, and so much more. My work centers around working with the neurodiverse community in order to bring sensory-friendly and person-first events to the community, but also to help people in underserved communities and minorities gain access to community assets and community events that honor them and not just their sensory needs, but all facets of accessibility. Awesome. Well, let's talk about sensory needs for a minute, because I think that's one I think I've been to a lot of events and I can tell you they don't put any thought into sensory. So why is it important to at least consider sensory needs um, at a conference or an event? I love that um, question. So for me, I, I think you par nailed part of it right away, which was that a lot of events don't honor that. I know personally, I've been, you know, at Denver Comic Con here, and we've had thousands of people and sometimes it feels like I can't. Additionally, I think it's just something that is important because as we grow in society, as we move and as we flow, a lot of people are seeking events as a means to have some escape, have some freedom from being stuck at home or, you know, the last few years. But it's other than that, it's really so important because even people who aren't neurodiverse are communicating with communities that things are overstimulating. We live in a world that, you know, even if we don't have sensory needs, t movies are loud, TV shows are getting louder, um, podcasts are talking about subjects that are deeply overstimulating and by honoring that we can really put a focus on empowering people and helping them connect to resources that not just want to help them get out but allow them to feel more free and to feel honored by their community i love that and i think that's one of the things you know there there's a lot of noise and um you know, in the public school system, for example, the classroom is geared towards, you know, people with a, a pretty decent tolerance for noise. Um, I don't see enough schools having that, you know, the sensory friendly places, um, you know, movies in our community, the only sensory really friendly ones are mommy and baby video movie events. And, um, you know, it's ironic because if you have sensory issues, <laughs> being in a room with crying babies is not going to help you so 
So let's talk about what are some of the, first of all, let's talk about um, how you got into this, um, you know, into this role as an event facilitator. I think that's a very unique position. Um, how did you come to that? And then we'll talk about how people can look at, um, you know, planning those events. So my, how I ended up in this field really is being a part of this community. I have been someone who has loved storytelling and events since I was a young age, but I also had a lot of exposure to wanting to go do things, wanting to go to theme parks, wanting to go to storytelling events, and being someone who, when I walked in, I had that immediate sense of like, holy cow, I can't be in this space because there's hundreds of people or there's long lines or there's just, like you said, so much noise. And a lot of it does come from me as well, being in the school system and learning that so many institutions and organizations, as much as they want to help, they don't. But so as I grew older, um, I started off working as a reading tutor in the Littleton school system, helping kids with extra needs catch up on their reading abilities. Um, and that I learned really quickly that when you educate kids in the way that they need and in a facet in which they, you know, an environment in which they can learn, it really emphasizes the capacity that youth have as a whole. But I've also spent time uh, working at day programs where I helped hold events. And I really started in this field about 10 years ago when I um, worked with my now best friend and her kiddo just helping her, her daughter out when she needed an aid while her mother was at a parents group. And one of the things I learned really quickly is that I love working with kids. I love working with adults in an event capacity, but I also learned that I have a very gentle and very kind demeanor that a lot of people work very well with. And so when I realized that I could open my own business and start doing events the way that I thought they should be done and really emphasizing that that was late 2021. Um, since then, my business has actually grown substantially. I've connected with over 40 organizations and hundreds of people. And I've really learned that we all need events. We need accommodations. Um, and I learned that I could take what I wanted to see as a kid and I wanted to see as an adult and really emphasize that these are things that can and should happen in the community. And since then, it's just been a whirlwind, but it's been wonderful. <laughs> I love that. Now, let's talk about some of the, uh, I'm going to say the word concession. I know that's not the perfect word, but what are some of the things, because um, you talk about beyond physical needs, um, what are some of the things that events should be talking about? And and then we'll talk about uh, the sensory space, but what are some of the considerations you're working with your your events to bring to the table so um so a key thing for me in accessibility is also an emotional um a cognitive and even a spiritual aspect i'm a big believer that true accessibility like when i'm running events uh, especially for kids and young teens i work to honor you know the fact that some of them well i'm sure most of us nowadays have some form of trauma so I work to honor the content and the stories I tell so that, you know, it's not pandering, but it work to honor the elements of, you know, 
if someone is struggling in comprehending something intellectually, a core part of what I do is I take the time to honor that person and we work through the story. Um, a lot of it is re-explaining it, but in a way that that person needs. And another aspect really is if someone is struggling at the event that I take the time to honor that person and work with them through open communication, what they need. Um, and if they don't know what it is at the moment, I'll work with them to help process that, that idea. And the really cool thing, the other thing that I really do is the emphasis of respect. Just because someone has extra needs, in my opinion, does not mean, necessarily mean that they do not know how to articulate what they want. They do not know what ideas they want to say or they think that, you know, a lot of people think that we need to treat people with extra needs like they're younger than they are. And I think a lot of people who get that kind of realize that they're being disrespected. So I treat every event with an element of respect as well, that everyone I work with should be treated with that mindset that they are people. Their diagnosis comes, you know, it's important, but it comes much farther after the idea that people are people. Yeah, that's that's a, a great comment. And, um, you know, at my son's school, there's several kids who are nonverbal autistic. And I find it amazing how many people just talk right over them. And, you know, my, my favorite thing, I, I know one in, in particular, um, we have our own little language that he and I speak together. And people ask me, why do you why do you do that? And it's like, because he's a human, you know, he's a great kid. So I think we need a lot more empathy. Um, now, what are some of your favorite things? So you're on the Colorado, uh, what does APSE stand for? Uh, APSE is Colorado APSE. It's a part of a chapter of an employment first organization that is designed to help people, no matter their diagnosis, get the work that they want in a workplace that will honor their needs with that element of respect. So the whole point is to get people into the workforce in a way that they will succeed. I, I love that. And we'll we'll talk more about that because I, I'm fascinated by the assumption that, you know, if somebody has nonverbal skills, they can only do low level menial tasks. And you know, ironically, a lot of those tasks are on noisy shop floors where those people don't flourish. Um, I, you're nodding. I feel like that's a conversation. Let's talk about that first. I want to hear your thoughts. And then I have a question I want to talk to you about. Yeah, so I, the reason I was nodding, um, I run into a lot of that. I've seen a lot of things. Um, I, I think a lot of people's mindset when they see someone with extra needs is like the Walmart greeter or something like that. And I've met a lot of people who really love that job, but there's so much proof out there that people with any needs that people might consider extra or any diagnosis can succeed when they have a healthy and supportive workplace. I think it's true for everyone that when we go into work, we need to feel appreciated, we need to feel valued, and we need to be set up for success. And... um I think a lot of people, when they think of people who have either, you know, a physical diagnosis or a cognitive one, they, I don't think it's intentional all the time, but I do think it's a social stigma that those people have to be the Walmart greeters. 
They can't be the lawyer or, you know, someone running the floor or something like that. And the reality is when we have that support, anyone can have the job that they want. It's just, we have to, as a society, and I have a lot of things I can say on this, but I'm going to censor it. Um, we need to be more accepting and we need to change our mindset, especially in the United States, the United States around work. I love that. Now let's transition just to talking about storytelling for a moment. Um, what is one storyteller who inspires you to do your work um, whenever you listen to them? So my all-time favorite writer is Edgar Allan Poe. Um, a big reason for that is, you know, if anyone's read his work, it's very clear that he had some very substantial emotional struggles and was in a time when, I mean, it's rough now, but it was way worse back then. Um, and the thing that I love about him is he put that he was not afraid to put his emotion into the work. He was not afraid to be honest and gritty and real about what it was to have mental illness in the time. And I think even just outside of the mental illness, he wrote about things that, you know, hundreds of, I think it's been a hundred years. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, since his time that people feel connected to us especially when we're hurting or the thing is i remember when i was a kid i saw um this is a real person's name odds botkins he's a professional storyteller who's been around almost well probably longer than i've been alive and i listened to him in a storyteller festival when i was a kid and that was one of the times like when i my mom took me i was like i want to do that when I get older and my mom being the wonderful person she is just said okay make it happen you can do it I love it now I, I'm gonna ask you and I'm a big fan of Poe um, some of his stuff you know clearly there was some stuff going on in his world um, you know but just the the magic and and the playfulness of some of the words and then you know guides you through the darkness I think but um, what's your favorite storytelling mechanism how do you how do you personally like to tell stories um so personally me i love to very similar to poe i love to incorporate humanity into my stories i'm a big believer um having been inspired by poe that uh, a story is very flat if you do not incorporate very real human drama into it um, and I think that uh, many great coaches and writers have had the same thing. If you have a great villain or you have a great hero or a great story that has human emotion and human pain and sorrow and joy, then um, you'll have a great story. And I love to base a lot of my storytelling around stories that will make people feel connected and empowered, but also feel that twinge of human connection and pain at the same time okay well as as a storyteller now i'm going to go down that path um so you were inspired by edgar Allan poe uh who living or recently you know in in your lifetime who has been your most inspiring storyteller that's a great question um so right now, the writer that I'm most, like, I listen to the most is Neil Gaiman. I feel like he is one of the great masters of our time. 
But I will also say, um, having done D&D and having that inspiration, I will say, and I don't know if everyone in your audience is going to know this name, but Brennan Lee Mulligan, he is a very uh, famous uh, Dungeons & Dragons actual play creator. Um, He is so good at his work, and I think he's only like a couple years older than me. When I listen to his work, when I hear him tell stories, it is transcendent. Um, he he is the person I go to for inspiration on my own ideas. I don't know him, but I love listening to his stories to get that sense of insp- inspiration. I love that. Now, we're going to talk about Dungeons & Dragons because it's an interesting game. And, and I say game, but there's more to it than that. But um, I actually have a friend who works with... Um, young addicts and he uses the the intricacies of dungeons and dragons so um i'm gonna ask you a question it's not a loaded question there's no secrets to it but you know i i know parents who are like oh that's a waste of time or you know oh you should go do something useful um what do you see inside of dungeons and dragons for young storytellers in the making So I think first and foremost is that you are being, you're sitting down in a group having peer to peer interaction. So I think one of the best things is it gives a lot of people their first four way into creating their own story, creating characters that they get to play and see developed over time. It's an overall engaging story that can last years and years And for young storytellers, I think it's one of the, a lot of us, it's the first instance and when we get that inspiration to tell stories in that capacity. Um, The amount of young people I've worked with who have played because they've heard it's popular and they want to try it out and then become enthralled with it and want to do their own sessions. I think it's, you know, there's creative problem solving, there's math skills, there's um, lore and um, what they call um, world building and all these things that people as a group get to do together and each player gets to add to that. I think that's one of the most beautiful things about a game like that. Kind of a, a collaborative storytelling. And, and <laughs> I think that's, that's where I see it. Now, I don't know if you know the answer to this question, but I'll throw it out there. Um, who are some of the most famous Dungeons and Dragons players that maybe people don't know about? So I think the, definitely depending on who you play with, I, am, I think a ton of people know Matt Mercer, uh, who has done Critical Role, very famous, got a ton of people into it. I would probably say uh, if you have Brandon Lee Mulligan's crew on a lot of his stuff, Erica Ige, I'm terrible at the name. I apologize. Um, I have my own speech stuff, but, um, and uh, Zach Oyama, uh, I think are all really underappreciated. And one of my personal favorites, Abria Iyengar. Uh, She does a lot of actual plays that are very different from the traditional means of, um, D&D outside of a lot of combat, very creative. Uh, Abria is one of those people who can take an idea and run with it. And I have so much respect for them. Love that. Now, let's talk about some of the the people you've played with. Um, 
what are some of the transformations you've seen in, in your real life where somebody, you know, came to D and D and, and found themselves in that, in the, in the gaming world. So I've worked with a lot of beginners. Um, I, over the years, I think I've worked with over 120 new beginners. A lot of those just within the last year. Um, and what I've seen is uh, I've seen some people who have decided they want to take on their own story. But in some of the work I've done, I've even seen new players get super involved and they've developed their uh, self-advocacy skills, their creative thought processing. And I've seen a lot of that. But I've also seen a lot of people just come together and start to develop their own little worlds within my campaign and create their ideas a lot of the people I'm working with are still developing how to play, but I can tell you probably in the next year, I could see several of them going on and doing their own campaigns and telling their own unique stories in ways that I never even would have thought to. I love that. And how has it helped you? What, what's been your biggest personal gains from, from playing Dungeons and Dragons? I have to say, other than my business, getting to meet some of the most wonderful people I've ever known. A lot of the people I work with, even you know, adults, kids, otherwise, they have a beautiful spark as human beings. And it's just so nice to be able to show up, make friends as the game master and as a business owner and see people have fun and get so involved in your story that occasionally they don't want to end the session at the time I need to end and they want to continue. Um, and I, I have made some really great friends uh, over the course and it's just, it's so much fun. I love it. Now, given that we are talking about um, neurodiversity and sensory um, for the aspiring, sorry, what's the word um, dragon, the dungeon master, what are some of your big, awareness points around respecting and honoring and being empathetic towards sensory needs? What are some things um, people should be looking at? So I was given the advice years ago of know your audience, and that's definitely my overall advice. But I would also say, um, you know, today is Halloween. So if anyone is listening to this is planning a Halloween session, um, I would definitely say make sure to have open communication with your players. Um, I've ran sessions that I knew were going to be darker and grittier than other sessions. So I will actively ask my players, what should I watch out for? Um, is there a particular genre of horror that you don't like? Even outside of that, um, one of the great things that I've learned is working in breaks in your session. Uh, a lot of people forget about this, but having movement time, encouraging your players to have downtime and talk among one, one another to understand the importance of, you know, resetting the brain. Um, and the other thing I would say is simply, if you're going to be a game master, please be willing to listen to your players and please do not make them believe that this is only your story. I've seen a lot of game masters. I've seen a lot of storytellers who claim that it is their story. And I've worked with a lot of people who are like, I don't want to impose my ideas on your story. 
the core thing of this game is that it is a shared storytelling element. It should be everyone's story at the table, whether or not they show up every single time. I love it. And and I think that's, I mean, it, when I look back on Dungeons and Dragons, I've never been, I don't sit still. Um, sitting and playing games bothers me to no degree. Um, but I know people who've been in it and it's, it's about building that community and, and having, you know, that series of friends that you'll, you'll play with for years. And, you know, I think it's, it's fascinating. Um, now, Thomas, I could talk to you all day, but the reality is, uh, you know, at some point we do have to wrap up, but, um, how can people get in touch with you? Um, and, and what do you do exactly with RH Creative Advocacy? How do people work with Thomas? So um I have my email, which I can I can give you, Jeff. Um it's nDttrpg at gmail. I can also send everything. I also have a website uh called RH Creative Advocacy and Storytelling.net. Um, and I have other means, but I would say the main way to get a hold of me is contact me via my email. Um, I'm always willing to hear ideas and see what things are moving. I do have a little bit of a busy end of the year, but I'm already planning for next year. And I am so grateful for this time um, and the opportunity to share my thoughts. Well, that's pretty cool i appreciate you being here i have a couple more questions um one is my favorite how can my listeners recognize somebody who'd be a good introduction for you um i think the um could you phrase that one time my brain just completely skips <laughs> no worries no worries uh how might my listeners identify somebody who'd be a great connection for you how can somebody know that they should send them your way so you can have a chat with them? Thank you. Uh, yeah. So the first thing is, I would say, you know, if you have any interest in creative projects, the second thing I would say, if you know someone or are looking to gain more understanding on neurodiversity events and sensory friendly events, I would also say that, you know, if you simply want to gain some insight in the neurodiversity in Dungeons and Dragons and even, you know, begin that conversation of how to do things that I've mentioned today as well, I'm more than happy to have that conversation. Um, I'm a big believer that the flow of ideas and the flow of communication is going to be the future of my industry. So please feel free to reach out to me. I love it. Well, Thomas, thank you for hanging out with me and thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much as well. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and we invite you to either click the link below or scan the QR code to register and listen to other episodes of our podcast. Or if you think your business or you would be a great guest to be on our show, we're always looking for experts in one of the nine elements of holistic wellness. We'd love to have you. You can either click the link below or you can scan the QR code and complete our speaker intake form. Thank you and to your wellness.